Welcome to Beyond the Pink Cloud, the podcast where we talk about moving forward in our lives through recovery and navigating the world with grace, ease, and humor. We've got tools and strategies from the experts to help you live with less stress and increased ease. Let's get into today's episode. Before we jump into today's episode with Claire Pooley, just want to send out a heartfelt thanks to everyone for listening and supporting the podcast. If you'd like to be a part of the community, you can come on to Facebook and join the Beyond the Pink Cloud Facebook group. And if you are like me and looking at 2020, much like an exploration of self and of ways that you can start to grow and develop and really move forward in your life, you know, whether you're a sober woman or not. I think having, if you don't like the word goal, then having a project to focus on is such a wonderful way just to continue to build forward momentum and to continue to grow and develop ourselves as humans in a way that really feels supportive. And so that's why I have the ongoing self-love project group. And I'll link that in the show notes too. But I'm I'm so excited about this project because it will be for the entirety of 2020. So instead of just like, here's a goal, I'm going to go achieve it. It's more unraveling and unwrapping layers of, you know, who we are and how we present ourselves to the world and what's happening in both our internal and our external realities. And, you know, and what does that translate into as far as like, how is our reality being created So I strongly encourage you, if this is a topic that is all interesting to you or resonates with you, to come on in and join the group. We will be having a self-love summit with guest speakers and experts within the group um, over Valentine's Day. It'll be for a five or six day period in February, and I'll release more details in the lineup of that probably on the next episode because things are almost finalized now. So without further ado, I think you're going to love this episode with Claire Pooley. She's got a a lovely accent, and of course, she is so much more than that, but I love getting to speak with people from all over the world because their accents are just so darn charming. But it's been really neat to speak with both Claire and last week with Laura McCowan and hear about their writing styles and how they're going about creating these amazing books and these amazing communities, really, of of women who you know are sober and getting sober and in these in these various various areas of sobriety. And it's just beautiful to see these communities form. So I, I really appreciate you and thank you for being a part of this one. And uh, I hope to see you online in the Facebook groups as well. And without further ado, please enjoy the episode. Hi, good morning. And thank you for joining me for another episode of Beyond the Pink Cloud. Uh, this is your host, Dr. Alice Kirby. And today I have with me another author, uh, Miss Claire Pulley. She started writing a blog, a blog called Mummy Was a Secret Drinker, and then she has since published two books. One is called The Sober Diaries, and then her most recent writing project is a novel called The Authenticity Project. Uh, thanks for being here with me today, Claire. Thank you for having me on. I'm delighted to, to be here. Oh, wonderful. And then um, I was wondering if you could just share a little bit of your story and, and about how writing seems to me like it was such a pivotal, a pivotal part of your, um, of your sobriety and of like how you moved forward in your life. So I'd love to just hear, and for, I'd love to just hear you tell your story a little bit. Yeah, I mean, actually, write, writing was my therapy, really, in that um, I I quit drinking nearly five years ago now. And 
I think like, you know, like many uh, busy mums, I used to drink a glass of wine at the end of the day to sort of chill out and relax. And it was me time. And, you know, I thought everyone else was doing exactly the same thing. And that glass of wine became two glasses of wine, became three glasses of wine. And, you know, by this time, I was drinking at least a bottle of wine a day and more at weekends. So, you know, if you added it all up, which I tried not to do very often, it was about 10 bottles of wine a week I was drinking, which which had a huge impact on my sort of mental and physical health, you know, as, as you know. So, you know, I wasn't sleeping. I was two stone overweight. Oh, so in, in American money, that's uh, about 28 pounds. Um, I was anxious all the time. I was, a, I wasn't a good mom. I was, um, quite, I was shouty and sort of, um, and, and didn't have very much patience with my kids. I mean, I, I just generally, and I felt like my life was sort of completely stuck in a rut. Um, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And, um, and so I, I knew I had to quit drinking and, I was too scared to go to AA um, or even to talk to anybody in real life about what was going on in my life because I was really embarrassed and I was ashamed and, you know, I, I didn't think anyone would understand. And um, so what I, but I sort of had to talk to somebody and I had to make myself accountable. So I thought initially I'd write a journal and then I thought, well, this, this is ridiculous. This is the 21st century. You know, nobody writes on paper anymore. I should start a blog. And I'm a bit of a technophobe. So, you know, it, it took me a while to work out how to do it. And um, I just um, started up a blogger account, um, called it Mummy Was a Secret Drinker. And because, you know, I was, you know, I I didn't, as I said, I didn't tell anyone what I was going through. And I just started writing about what I was feeling and what I was going through every day. And I did a whole load of research as well. I read every book that, you know, there was about people's drinking stories. I read the big AA big book. I read, um, you know, I read whatever I could find on on alcohol and I watched all the YouTube videos and I blogged about that too. So, you know, whenever I found myself experiencing something like, you know, um, headaches, you know, I would do a piece about, you know, drinking and, and why when you quit drinking, you start getting headaches. And, you know, so, so the whole thing was sort of me exploring what I was going through and, you know, that picked up um, readers, despite the fact that I, I didn't publicize it at all. And, you know, so incredibly, within the first year, I'd had about a million hits on the on the blog. Wow. Extraordinary, um, and uh, yeah, and it was a huge support for me. And it got to the stage where you know, if I didn't write every day, I felt nervy. You know, I mean, writing was my way of getting my head in in place and and working out what I was I was going through, as well as and then it started helping other people too. So so that's where it all started. I think that that speaks to how big of a like a problem or or an issue this is for for women i'm assuming your blog readers were probably women and men but i would assume a lot of women mm-hmm. that you had so many hits of just telling your story because i imagine so many people felt the same where you know I, i'm in a lot of sober commute different sober communities online and and i hear a lot of people sort of echo these sentiments of like i don't want to go to aa cuz i live in a small town or i'm ashamed or i'm afraid and and so I think people are really looking for resources like that and to just hear somebody hear your voice coming in saying like, well, this is what I'm going through and this is how I'm dealing with it. And, and it's so cool you did research too and like brought that into what you were writing. 
um, just to have like another, like here's some information that I'm finding out and bringing in. It's a really valuable service. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think what, what I had always believed that there was, um, that alcohol issues were black and white. You were either a normal drinker or you were a rock bottom um, alcoholic. And, you know, and I didn't think there was anything in between. And I didn't fit into either of those camps as, as far as I felt at the time. I was sort of, you know, and now I think there's much more awareness of the gray areas of, of drinking issues and the fact that it's very much a spectrum and not a sort of, you know, not a black and white thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and I think what where my blog appealed to people is, is, you know, all those people who knew that their um, their drinking was becoming an issue, but didn't feel like they fitted into any of the stereotypes. And, uh, you know, I, th- I think now things are starting to change and there's much more awareness that, uh, that, you know, the stereotypes are too simplistic. I agree. I agree. There's so much information now about gray area drinking and, and just with simple things like taking like a sober October or a dry January and, and trying, like, let's just try sobriety for health reasons. Um, I think that's good. I think anytime anyone can, especially if somebody who feels like there is a problem, even if it's just like a niggling little thought, which I think is how it starts for a lot of people of, you know, maybe this really isn't serving me or this behavior or this substance like really isn't helping me be the person I want to be. To have resources like your blog and like a lot of what we're seeing now on Instagram with the gray area drinking. So, um, it's a good time to be a sober woman. I'll say that. I think there's, it's, there's a lot less shame around it than um, than I think there was probably 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Yeah, and I mean, even when I gave up, which was, you know, relatively recently, five years ago, you know, I felt that, um, you know, if if you give up smoking, people congratulate you and they, mm-hmm. you know, universally tells you you're doing a great thing. And, and, you know, and when you give up drinking, people sort of look at you slightly strangely and think you're a bit odd. And, you know, and it makes it, so much harder um mm-hmm. you, know, you know i say in my book that you know alcohol is is the only drug that you have to justify not taking and you know it's it's uh yeah it's it does it does make it it makes it hard when when uh, you know you feel like you have to justify doing something which is wholly positive <laughs> I love that quote too. I was trying to think of it. I forgot that that was from you. It's such a good quote. It is. It's so bizarre. It's like the only drug that we're like, no, no, I, I just don't do that one. And people think there's something like think that there's like a problem or there's something wrong with you. Or I've had somebody ask me like, well, are you okay? And I'm like, look at me. Like clearly I'm much more okay than I was when I was drinking. Um, <laughs> well, quite. <laughs> So, so you've been sober for a while. What do you, what do you do like these days to kind of practice your sobriety? Is it just sort of, this is big. I mean, I've been sober a little over two years and I feel like it's become pretty, it's pretty normal for me. So I don't know that I like think about like doing a lot of sober things. I just kind of go through my life sober. Um, but I'm curious since writing was this big catalyst for you. Um, and you write about it in your book and even in the novel, you've got a character who's an addict um, if you do anything in particular these days to sort of, I don't know, practice sobriety? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very, I'm still very involved with all the sober communities. So, you know, I do, um, I do a lot of podcasts like this and, um, you know, I'm, I'm very, um, I'm relatively active on, on Instagram and, you know, I meet up with a lot of the sort of sober influencers in real life. And, you know, I mean, I'm, and I do the festivals. So, you know, so I, I like to, I like to be part of that very positive sober mm-hmm. community 
because apart from the else, it's a great community. There were some fabulous people in it. And I think ex-addicts are, you know, some of the best people there are, you know, and actually the, the addict character in the Authenticity Project, who you mentioned, he's called Hazard. And, you know, I love him, you know, because he is, he is that addict part of me. And, you know, I, I think, uh, I think ex-addicts are some of the most interesting and, you know, uh, and complicated uh, people, people that, that you can get to know. Uh, partly because, you know, I sort of feel like, you know, we, um, there are two sorts of people. There's people who are good at doing things in moderation. And I was never very good at moderation. <laughs> I can't moderate anything. And there, there are people like me who are all or nothing. And, you know, all or nothing is, is actually a good, a good way to be in many ways. You know, we're all or nothing about everything. We're all or nothing about friendship, about love, about fun, about work. Um, and, uh, you know, and that's, I think, partly why ex-addicts are, so, uh, are such extraordinary people. I agree. Um, what festivals do you go to? Oh, there's a there's a great a great festival in um, in London, um, and actually I think they're moving outside London as well. Called um, the Club Soda uh, Mindful Drinking Festival, um, and uh, and it's getting bigger and bigger. Every they've been running it now for about three or four years, and um, and every year it gets it gets larger. And uh, and there are you know this time there were you know thousands of people there and lots of brands. So I, I think we have more alcohol-free drinks brands in the UK than you have in the US at the moment. I think so too. Hundreds of alcohol-free beers and spirits and, you know, wow. all sorts of things. so uh, um, yeah, it's, it's an amazing event. That's great to know about because I don't think we have a ton of stuff like that here. I think it's growing where I know there's um, a group called Sober Bar or Yes. And they'll go, uh, or Sands Bar, sorry. And they go around the country and do like little pop-up sober bars and sort of nightclub type events with sober cocktails and, or mocktails and they'll have, um, different vendors come in. But I love the, like when I was drinking, I used to love, you know, big music festivals and camping and being this other like reality for a couple of days. But because there are, there is such a drinking and drug culture around those. I haven't gone back to one since I've been sober. Yeah. So I love the idea of going to a sober one and like getting to engage with people and remember things and um, be a part of that community. That's really great that happens over there. Yeah. And I think the whole, the change in the, in the drinks industry is, is really interesting as well because, and I know some people find drinking sort of fake alcohol um, is actually a trigger and is not helpful mm -hmm. at all. Um, but for other people, it's, it really helps. And, and I found that, you know, at the end of the day, if I opened an alcohol-free beer, it would, my subconscious would sort of believe that, that you know, this, this was the real thing. And it would just make me feel, you know, more uh, relaxed and able to sort of deal with stuff. So, you know, I, it was a really helpful prop for me in the early days, having sort of um, having, you know, mocktails or sort of, you know, alcohol free beer, those sort of adult alcohol free drinks really helped. Mm -hmm. I think that's great. And I think it is really individualistic, you know, and if it works for some people, that's wonderful that it's there. And then if it doesn't, then, you know, drink water. Um, yeah, exactly. There's, there's options for everybody. And so I'm curious, I've, I've, I read your novel, they sent me the galley and I loved it. Um, and I was so excited to, to just get it like ahead of time. <laughs> I, felt, I, felt, I felt really, I felt really special. And I'm curious cause I have, I didn't read the sober diaries, your first book. And I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about the difference in writing them because one was more 
is it is it fair to say that the Sober Diaries was like a, a little bit of an extension of your blog? Yeah, I mean, the Sober Diaries is um, is literally the story of my first year not drinking, um, and um, and it's, it's been described as Bridget Jones dries out <laughs> because <laughs> you're British, and it's yeah. funny. I'm assuming. <laughs> And it, it's you know it's 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 funny it's not it's not all doom and gloom um because my way of dealing things was with things was to use humor um and uh and so so the sober diaries was is you know literally a memoir it was my story and um and you know i found as i said to you before you know i found writing really therapeutic so when i finished writing that i actually wanted to carry on writing and the authenticity project in a way was also therapy in that um, there are six different characters in it, but each of them is, each of them has a sort of flaw, a central flaw, and each of those flaws are mine in a way. <laughs> so, you know, Hazard is the addict and there's Monica who's sort of a little bit OCD um, and, uh, and there's Julian, the artist who, um, uh, you know, and he's my creative side. Um, you know, so, um, and Alice, who is um, um, a mummy um, uh, Instagrammer, and she's sort of totally addicted to social media, which is something I have to watch again, being an addict. Um, and uh, and yeah, so I found actually, funny enough, writing that novel in a way was very much like writing the Sober Diaries, in that I I was through it, I was exploring different, you know, different aspects of of myself in many ways. I was going to ask you um, if there was one particular character that you feel like you based more around yourself, but it sounds like there's parts of you in all of them. Yeah, I mean, there's only there's one character who isn't anything like me, and that's Riley. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Riley is is uh, an Australian um, gardener, and he is he doesn't have a, a sort of he doesn't have a flaw. His only flaw is the fact that he's almost too perfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And so he's the only one that, that I feel, you know, I don't really share anything with at all. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but the story is, is about how each of those sort of six people are brought together by this little green notebook. And, and the notebook is called The Authenticity Project. And um, in it, it says everybody lies about their lives and what would happen if you told the truth instead. And each of the characters tells the truth about their life. And through that, they all meet each other and they all change each other's lives for the, for the better. And, um, and that really was sort of based on my own experience in that, you know, I found when I published The Sober Diaries, um, telling my story meant that people from all over the world sent me messages saying, you know, what you telling your story really changed my life. Um, because until now, I thought I was the only person who felt like that. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that really gave me the idea for the book because I thought, well, what would happen if we all told our stories, if we all, you know, we were all open about what our lives are really like, because, you know, most of the time we're not, you know, you, we look at, you look at somebody's Instagram feed or their Facebook feed and it's this, you know, very highly curated, glossy version of their real life. It's not, it's not how their life really is. And I wanted to explore you know, what would happen if we were really honest? I think it's a good, a really good question. And I almost think it's a difficult climate these days because there, I feel like with social media, there is a lot of, of focus on like, be authentic and like share this authentic, you know, bit about yourself, especially in the entrepreneurial world. But then there, 
but then so much of that feels like it's really highly curated. <laughs> like this is the authentic person that I'm projecting to you for this specific reason. Um, so I, for me personally, I just get exhausted by it sometimes like on, of how to like express, I guess, a part of myself that really is very authentic and, but that also is, you know, shareable with the world. Um, and then I read things sometimes where I just get irritated by it. And I'm like, I don't, so I don't know. I don't know if you have, um, if you have thoughts on that, on like this current climate of like where everything is really supposed to be hugely authentic, but then it seems so much of the time that it's really, it's really not, it's just more curation. Yeah. I mean, I think this is a problem with social media, isn't it? In that, Mm. uh, you know, we, um, you know, we are more connected than ever before with, you know, thousands of people all over the place. And yet loads of us are, are actually really lonely because we're missing those, you know, those deep and real, you know, in real life connections. And, you know, that sort of fake authenticity thing is, is very easily done on social media. You know, everybody uses filters, everybody sort of, you know, picks the, picks the things that make them look and sound the best. And, you know, that's partly why I, I think, you know, my book was set around old school technology. You know, these people wrote in a notebook and mm-hmm. they met in a cafe and, you know, and it strips away all of that artifice that, uh, you know, that we use, you know, all the, all the time with technology these days. Um, and I think we're really yearning that, you know, I mean, it's, a, I mean, I, I think I, I, my kids um, are really into watching old reruns of Friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and I look at it and I think, God, you know, that feeling of, you know, a bunch of people meeting in a cafe um, and, you know, and without, you know, without all these, uh, all these phones and laptops and all that sort of stuff is, is actually, I think, what we're all craving. And uh, that's what my, my book delivers, I think, is that sort of, you know, that feeling of, of real life connection. I think so. <laughs> oh, I agree too. I think we do crave that. And we're not sure how to, how to get it sometimes. I think it's, it's becoming harder and harder because we, we do have this other avenue, whereas, you know, 20 years ago, we didn't. It, it was just that. Like, if we wanted friends, we had to go out and interact with them in the real world. Yeah. And, and it's a great thing in many ways. You know, I mean, my, my blog saved my life, you know, mm-hmm. and, and- and that wasn't real life. That was, you know, that was all, you know, that was all through technology and, and virtual, virtual friendships. But, um, you know, it was, it was hugely helpful to me, you know, and, you know, I, I write in the sober diaries about the fact that, um, eight months after I quit drinking, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, mm. so it wasn't a very good year to be honest. No, God, it's a lot at once. A lot. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so, and I'm, you know, my blog at that point was such a help because I, sorry, I get quite emotional when I talk about this, but, you know, by then I'd, I'd made these friends all over the world and, um, and they, you know, when I, I said that, you know, I'd been diagnosed with breast cancer, I had these messages from people all over the place sending, you know, sharing their stories and, and, um, you know, and sending me you know, their wishes. And, you know, so for instance, there was a lady and lovely lady in Minnesota who told me that she'd got her whole church congregation to pray for me. And she never met me. She didn't know me. Um, and it was such a powerful thing. And, you know, so I think technology can be miraculous, but it can also, 
you know, it, it's, it, you also lose something with it. Um, and that's really what I wanted to look at is, is those real life connections that we're missing. And I think like you said earlier, it's the moderation factor of, of um, maybe not delving so deeply into just technology, but using it because it is wonderful. I mean, I'm sure you talk about how much your, your blog really saved your life, but I'm sure you saved, saved the lives of others. It sounds like you reach so many people. And I mean, that's, that's outstanding. You know, I've, I actually sent one a year, I was kind of looking through some of your blog stuff last night and one of your posts came up about like, um, never getting past the first four days, one of your uh, blogs. And I've, I, I've had, a, I've had a woman reach, reaching out to me recently, um, online and we talked a little bit about sobriety, but she's in that place. And, um, and so I've kind of, you know, given her some advice from, you know, from my perspective or, or just talk to her about my own experience. Um, but I saw that post and I sent that to her last night and I got a message from her this morning. She's like, wow, this is so helpful. This is exactly what I experienced. Um, so it was really neat just, you know, for me kind of just to go on and, and look through your stuff rather briefly to find something that I was like, oh, this is perfect for this person and, and to send it and to get that response so quickly of like, wow, this really resonates. This is really helpful. Like somebody else does understand what I'm going through. I think that's just hugely potent and powerful. Well, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? The, with addiction, um, you know, I, I, I believe there are sort of two life experiences that connect people, you know, or, uh, there's probably more, but two that I'm very familiar with that can connect people all over the world from different backgrounds, different cultures, different ages. And one of them is, is motherhood. You know, you find that, you know, if you have a, a baby the same age as somebody else, um, it doesn't matter where you're from, what language you speak, how old you are, anything, you know, you find you, you will have a, a sort of form of connection because you're going through very, very similar things. And I think the same is true of addiction. You know, there are, there, there are some things that sort of, you know, that we just however different we might be and what, however different our addictions might be in our personal circumstances, there are things that, you know, that are just so similar across all of our experiences. So, you know, so again, sharing stories is really helpful because, you know, you, you listen to them and you think, oh my God, I thought I was the only person that did that. I mean, mm-hmm. so to give you an example, I mean, I, I found when I was writing my blog that I, I did a, a piece about how um, I used to be really embarrassed about cashiers because I used to think when I went to go and buy alcohol, I thought that they were judging me and that they would remember how much I'd bought the day before. And, and you know, so I used to rotate the shops I went yeah. to. <laughs> I think that's common. I hear that from a lot of us. And yeah, and, and you know, I wrote this piece and everyone said, yeah, I do that too. And everyone was shouting. <laughs> and then somebody wrote saying, I am a cashier. <laughs> <laughs> that's a different perspective. <laughs> Oh my God, it's true. <laughs> so, so yeah, so I, I think those little, those little things that, you know, that unite us all are, are so powerful. I think so too. It just helps you feel like you're not alone. I know for me, that was such a big thing when I first was getting sober is to read some, I think it was AA literature, but I was reading descriptions and I'm like, Oh my God, I'm not crazy. I'm not a terrible person. Like this is an addiction issue. Um, it was very, uh, it was comforting. Yeah, so, exactly. How do, um, how old are your kids, Claire? Uh, well, um, now they are 16, 13 and 11. So. Okay. So they're more grown up. I was just curious how your relationship or your conversation around drinking goes with them these days and, and kind of what that looked like as you were getting sober as much as you'd like to share or not share. Um, um yeah, I mean, th- 
you know, for, I think the important thing to say is, is they are so proud of me. I mean, I think one of the the best things for me about quitting drinking is, is you know, is, is how it's impacted the relationship I have with my kids. And, you know, I'm a much better mum than I was. You know, I'm more patient. I'm more on their level. I'm not trying to... I think when I was drinking, I... You know, I was constantly trying to escape my own children, which is awful. But, you know, mm. that's where you'd read the bedtime story. And when I, my eldest, when I quit, was 11. So my youngest was six. So they were a bit younger. And, you know, I'd be doing bedtime stories and I'd be skipping through to the end as quickly as I could because I wanted to go and pour myself a drink. And, you know, and they're, they're young for such a short period of time. And it's so sad to feel that you're spending so much of that time trying to escape. Um, and, yeah, so so I'm a lot more present now. And, um, and I think I set, you know, I, I also believe I'm setting a much better example. And my husband still drinks. Um, but he drinks moderately. Um, curse him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I know, my boyfriend's the same way. I don't understand it. Um, so, I mean, I'm hoping that between us, we set a good example in that he shows them, you know, what drinking sensibly looks like. And I show them that life is is uh, perfectly doable and, in fact, quite brilliant without any alcohol at all. And then they can choose which way they go, you know. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, whereas I think, what the what I was teaching them before because you know kids learn not just from what you say they learn from what you do in fact they learn a lot more from what you do than what you say um and what I was teaching my kids is that it's impossible to get through life without constantly having a glass of alcohol in your hand and that is not a good lesson I don't think um so so yeah I think I'm a better role model now so. I'm sh- I'm sure. I'm sure you're just, uh, if nothing else, you're like a million times more present without the alcohol. Yeah, 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 exactly. Do they ask you at all about like drinking or I know you said your oldest is 16. So I, I know that's the age for a lot of kids where drinking starts to become a thing that they might want to try or do. I don't know if any of those conversations yeah. have come up. Yeah. And um, I, what I, what I generally say to, to my kids and to other teenagers who, who ask me about drinking is, you know, I'm not, I don't think you can tell teenagers not to drink um, because it is so, you know, it's, it's around them. It's the completely surrounds them. And, and, you know, and we all know, you know, we, we all went through the phase of wanting to try everything. And, and, you know, I think it's impossible to, to turn around and say they can't do it. Anyway, you can't tell kids not to do something because they don't pay any attention. Especially teenagers. Yeah. <laughs> but, but what I do say is, is, you know, just, I mean, start with, I, I've told my kids that um, alcohol issues can be genetic and that they particularly need to be, be quite wary. Um, and my, my elder says that whenever she is pressured by friends to do something she doesn't want to do, she says, um, she says, look, my mother's an addict and it can be hereditary and therefore, you know, I have, I, I'm not interested. And she says that that immediately shuts down the conversation mm. and actually really respectful of that. So, so I like the fact that I've given her that excuse to sort of avoid the peer pressure. Absolutely. Um, but uh, but yes, but, but what I what I tend to give them is is three rules, and I sort of say, you know, if you're going to drink, try not to drink more than three days a week. Try not to drink more than three drinks at one time, and never drink alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if you can stick to those rules throughout your life. You can you probably won't get into any trouble. But if you start finding that those those rules are impossible to stick to, then you know, put your hand up and ask for help. So. 
Um, and it's funny because, you know, you tell that to a 16 year old and they go, yeah, yeah, that's perfectly reasonable. You know, of course, I'd never drink more than three nights a week. Of course, I'd never drink more than three drinks at a time. I'd never drink by myself. And you say, look, remember how reasonable you think those rules are, because there will come a time quite possibly when you start thinking, oh, those rules are silly. And of course, mm-hmm. it's like break one, two or three of them, you know. So, so I think remembering the rules um, throughout your life is, is, uh, is a helpful thing. Absolutely. And that's nice and um, simple and easy to remember, which I think helps. Yeah, if you can. I know just hearing them, I'm like, that's impossible. <laughs> it's well, so it was wide. impossible for me, but that was why I had to quit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, and so I'm curious about just your approach to writing, if you, like what your writing schedule was like for both your, your, um, your memoir and for the authenticity project, if you kind of got up and wrote at the same time every day, if you set goals for yourself, um, about how much you were going to write every day or, or during the week, or if you would just kind of fit in writing around other things or like what your writing process itself was actually like, what approach you took. You know what, I mean, I, I'm sure you found this as well, but when I quit drinking, I had so much more time <laughs> available, um, you know, and, um, you know, and I, I found that the first year of, of not drinking was very much about looking inwardly and doing, you know, working out who I was, what I was, you know, what I was going through, all those things. And then after that, it became about looking outwardly and working out what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And, you know, and, and all sorts of, you know, all everything has changed since then. And uh, one of the key things is that when I was drinking, I used to hate mornings and love evenings. And when I stopped drinking, I started going to bed much earlier, and I wake up, you know, really, really early, feeling feeling fabulous. And I still. Even five years down the line, I still feel grateful about waking up without a hangover. <laughs> and uh, and so to answer your question, I write first thing in the morning. I wake up at 5 a.m. and I write for the first three hours of the day. Hmm. And that's the time when I feel most sort of alert, most creative, most I'm more able to think laterally. And the day hasn't sort of started getting in the way, if that makes sense. It does. And then I, uh, I take the kids to school. I do some of the chores. And, I, and then I go back and... Um, and edit. So I do all my original writing first thing in the morning. And then later on in the day, I just do editing and admin and, and the sort of, you know, the, the, uh, the, the less creative stuff. So, uh, so yeah, 5am is my tip. <laughs> That's what <laughs> I've is- heard uh, from a couple of writers is first thing in the morning, get up. Uh, I think there's definitely something to that creative creativity before the day kind of starts getting in, yeah. getting it into you or getting under your skin, as you said. There is there is something about about being half as half asleep. You know, I find that when I wake up before I even get out of bed, I start thinking about what I'm going to write next. Because when you're not, you know, when you're half asleep, your brain thinks in a very different way. It's it's sort of it's much more uh, much more lateral, much less logical. Um, mm-hmm. So you start with with quite much more interesting ways of ways of thinking. I think at that time in the morning. I think you're right. Um, and I've heard that from quite a few people. I had another writer on uh, a few weeks ago, Laura McCowan, who just released her memoir. Yeah, I know, um, I know. I know of her. Yeah. Yeah. She was lovely. She was lovely. And I asked her some, cause I'm curious about how people write, you know, what's the actual process of the nuts and bolts that go into it. 
And I think she, her response was pretty similar is like get up first thing in the morning and, and, uh, and write. You know what the great thing about writing is, is if you're an addict, which is um, that, you know, I think part of the reason we drink is because of that voice in our heads that, you know, that can drive you crazy and drinking is a way of just, numbing the sort of noise and just sort of dialing everything down and I think if you're a sort of creative person often that chatter just becomes too much sometimes and um you know and this this is why people talk about mindfulness and mindfulness helping and I don't know about you but you know I'm useless at, at meditating the minute <laughs> I my brain just gets filled with with rubbish um, and writing is a really great way of being mindful because, you know, while you're sitting there imagining a story and, and writing it down or writing about your own life, whichever you prefer to do, you are in the moment and you are quieting that voice in, in your head. And it does sort of, you know, it's, it's really beneficial. It's just a moment of calm for your for your brain if that makes sense you know some people find the same with with painting or with gardening or with you know uh, knitting you know any of those sorts of activities have the same effect oh I love that writing as a form of mindfulness and as a way as a means to like calm the voice in your head that makes so much sense um did you always want to write like before this blog project started and you were getting sober had that been ever a goal or an aspiration or something you were drawn to before I was a child you know my my big thing was reading and and writing and then but when I got to my 20s you know life got in the way and I stopped writing and I didn't write again until I quit drinking and you know the one of the things I found when I was um, uh, you know, from the stories that people have told me who've read my my blog and my my memoir is how common it is that the thing you're drawn to when you quit drinking is the thing you loved when you were a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, and I I always say to people now, you know, when you when you quit drinking, you're left, you know, your life has this sort of hole in it, um, and you need to find something to fill the hole with. Um, and often that something is, is what you loved when you were little. And, you know, so for instance, a woman wrote to me and she said, she said that she read my uh, blog post I'd written about this. And she said, she was thinking, what did I love when I was a child? And her thing was horses. She loved horses. So she started riding again and she said she loved it so much that she quit her job and she started, um, up her own stables and now it's her whole life. It's her passion. It's her sort of, it's revolutionized her life. And, you know, and I hear those sorts of stories over and over again, people saying they refound things that they lost. And so, yeah, writing was, was my thing that I refound. That's lovely. Um, and that's so nice. You got back to it and because it's already helped so many people, so it's wonderful yeah. for you and for a lot of other people, which is, it's got to feel really, really good. Uh, yeah, it, it does. It's, um, you know, I can't believe how, you know, how much my life has, has changed. It was, uh, you know, a few, not just a few years ago, I was so miserable and now, now it's, yeah, it's great. Did you do any other um, like recovery or rehab type stuff aside from writing or it sounds like you went through sobriety um, and again, as much as you're comfortable sharing, um, it sounds like writing really was the, the thing for you that, that helped you get sober and communicating with these other people. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, 
a combination of writing and the connection that the writing brought me. And, and actually, there's a great TED Talk, um, you've probably seen it, by uh, Johan Harry, and it's called Everything You Thought You Knew About Addiction Is Wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of that TED Talk, he says, the opposite of addiction is connection. And I think that's so true. And that's, you know, effectively what AA does, is it, it provides those connections. And, you know, and, and for me, my blog did exactly that. And... Um, yeah, so it wasn't just the writing, it was the people I met through the writing, um, because I don't think it's, well, I'm sure you can get over addiction on your own, but it's very hard. And, you know, it, it does, it helps to surround yourself with other people going through the same thing. 100%. I think it helps a ton. I have another question about the Authenticity Project. When you were creating the characters, did you have like a pretty well-formed idea of all of them like before you started the story? Or did you have like kind of an idea of them and then like through the through telling the story, their personalities emerged or some uh, of both? Uh, well, really the latter in that, you know, I mean, it's, it's funny how characters sort of grow to have their own lives. And, you know, um, and it started... I, I do find when I'm in the middle, I'm in the middle of writing another book now. So I'm in the middle of, I'm working with these new characters and, and it does start making you feel like you're going slightly crazy. You know, you feel when I remember years and years ago, I read a book about a lady who had uh, split personalities and I can't remember what it was called, but she, she was sort of seven different people or something. Um, and, and you start feeling a bit like that you, because you live with these people in your head and you know, to answer your question, to start off with, I had a rough idea of who they were, but I got to know them better and better as, as, as I carried on writing. So by the time I got to the end of the book, I then had to go back to the beginning and then rewrite it, knowing what I now knew about them, if that makes sense. Oh, that does make sense. You know, because they develop and they change and they do things sometimes that you weren't really expecting them to do. And, you know, and then, and you grow to sort of, and you do grow to really love them. And, you know, Hazard, for instance, uh, you know, without giving too much away at, um, you know, at one stage he falls off the wagon. And I found that really difficult to write because I was like, I'm really sorry. <laughs> you know, <but> I thought, <laughs> I'm rooting for you. It was kind of hard to read that part too, actually. <laughs> I was like, oh no, he's doing so well. <laughs> and it's hard making your characters do things that, that are hard for them because you know as I said you 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 grow very fond of them um so even the ones that aren't automatically lovable Mm -hmm. did you do any um any formal training or any writer's workshops when you decided you wanted to kind of make the leap from memoir to novel or is it just an idea that got born and you sort of um went to work uh, I did a novel writing course um, with uh, um, a literary agency called Curtis Brown. I think Curtis Brown are in in, uh, in the states as well, um, and they do a three month novel writing course. Um, and I applied to go on that, which is um, and it's it's selective. You have to you have to submit three thousand words of your novel, and and they take fifteen people and. Mm. Um, and then you share each other's work as you go over as you go through the the three months. So part of it is sort of formal coaching, and part of it is is um, is peer um, uh, review, if you like. So um, so you know the fifteen of us became you know very good friends, and we all sort of you know we all read each other's work, and we all critique each other's work, and we still meet. Um, we, we call each other we we call each other Right Club. Um, mm. 
and uh, and Right Club meet um, about uh, once every month, and we still read each other's work. So it was really helpful, and I think it just it just gave me confidence to sort of that that I wasn't completely wasting my time trying to write a novel. I think you need that, especially that's a huge project to undertake. A novel is is a lot of words. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a big time investment. So I think you know, I'm not sure I would have got to the end if I hadn't had the confidence that that course gave me to think that I was it was going to be okay because yeah it's a lot of time did you find that reading and critiquing some of the other work actually helped in your own writing process uh yes it definitely does um and uh um yeah yeah it's uh it's it's really helpful and you find you know even people who are writing completely different genres and completely different styles you know it just it just helps you to sort of you know look at, at what makes a great story I guess. Yeah, that makes sense. Are you, how, like, where are you in the process of writing your next book right now? If you could talk about it. Oh yeah, I'm about halfway through. Um, oh wow. A little bit more actually, but again, I write the first draft very sketchily and then I go back and once I've got to know the characters better, um, I go back and, and fill it all in. And it's quite weird. <laughs> well, there's a character in my, the novel I'm writing at the moment called Iona who is very eccentric and um she's in her late 50s and she is um she's a bit of a bitch um but she's very funny and um and she's uh yeah I, i'm very fond of her and um and my daughter my youngest said something to me this morning and i said what was that dear heart and i thought i just called her dear heart which isn't what <laughs> and i was that's iona <laughs> you know? And you do get the stage where, you know, when you're right in the middle of, of that sort of creative process where you start finding that you're, you're, you're becoming your characters and sometimes you become them or they become you. And it, it, it's quite, yeah, it can make you feel like you're going slightly crazy. <laughs> <laughs> then you have to go do something, I would probably imagine, like grounding with your kids or take a walk outside or something yeah. to remind you of what your current reality actually is. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, but that's an important process to go through because, you know, you do have to go through that that process of thinking. So, you know, so when with the Authenticity Project, so I was writing from the perspective of six different people. You know, I was constantly, if I was in a restaurant, I'd think, okay, well, what would what would Julian order if he was here? What would Monica hmm. say about this? You know, I mean, you sort of, you have to get to know them over time as if they're almost part of your family. So, you know, so constantly asking yourself those questions is is really you know, it's really helpful and it's fun. You know, I'd sort of think, you know, okay, if there was, if, if these two characters had a fight, who would win? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and putting your characters in those sort of situations in your head sort of helps to get to know them. You know, does that make sense? <laughs> it does. It does. And I imagine that must help too with, um, like if you do have that sort of mind chatter or busyness in your head, as we were talking about earlier, that comes with, uh, for a lot of us, when we, you know, no longer are using alcohol to tamper it down, to have this level of sort of focus and engagement and like an ongoing project to be aware of, I feel like that's probably just hugely helpful for managing stuff like anxiety or um, or stress because you, you've got things to focus on that are kind of fun and interesting. When I came up with the original idea, it was, um, uh, you know, part of the idea uh, was when I was going through a sort of period of insomnia um, and you know, if, if you can't sleep, you start worrying about stuff and the more you worry, the less you sleep and the less you sleep, the more you worry and it becomes mm. this big circle and then you, you know, you can't get out of it. 
And so I found writing plots in my head was a great way of, of not worrying about real stuff. Um, so, so yeah, so again, it's quite, it's really therapeutic, just sort of letting your mind focus on a fantasy world stops it worrying about the real world. So, and, and you're absolutely right, you know, so finding one of the keys to staying sober is, is finding ways of dealing with anxiety because alcohol is, is such a quick way of, you know, of, of, of dampening stuff down. And of course it, it, you know, it ends up making things worse in the long run, but, uh, but it is quick and easy to start off with. And, you know, you need to find other, other ways of, of, of doing the same thing. And, and for me, writing is, is that, it's great that you found something that works for you. And again, that's helped so many other people. It's, it's inspiring. Is there anything that you would like to like share or say with the audience before we kind of wrap up here? I like to offer people just a, you know, a turn at the mic. Well, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I, I think the main thing is, you know, the, the main reason I wrote, the sober diaries is because when I first quit drinking, I felt so alone and, and I felt so ashamed. And, you know, I just want to say to anybody out there who is, is just, you know, is at the point of, of wanting to give up or who has just given up, um, you are not alone and there is no reason to feel ashamed. You know, alcohol is a drug and the fact that you are addicted to an addi- addicted to an addictive drug is not your fault. That's what it does. You know, the, the drug is at fault, not you. Um, and, um, and then, you know, the other thing I would say is, is if you're a bit further down the line and, um, you know, and you're starting to come out the other end, then tell your story. Um, and that's really the theme of, of my novel is that, you know, if you tell the truth about your life, it will change other people's lives for the better and your own. So, so don't feel alone um, and, and tell your story. That's lovely and important. Um, and so let's, let's talk about your, your book because the Authenticity Project comes out February 4th. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Yes. Okay. And so um, people should keep a lookout and then we'll put a link. I'll get some links for your social media or anywhere that we can find you online. And I'll post those in the show notes as well. If there, if you have a specific order link for people to, um, to grab oh, the book. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And it's such a lovely book. Um, no, yeah. Thank I, you. I really enjoyed reading it. I actually had, I'd had a snowboarding injury and my knee was like the size of a balloon and I couldn't walk and I was so frustrated and I got this book in the mail and I was like, yes, I can just lay here and read. Um, so it was like a nice, um, it was therapeutic. Oh, good, good, good. Um, and thank you so much for coming on to, to chat with me today, Claire. I, I really, um, I admire what you've done and, and I'm, I'm really happy for you and for all the people that you've been able to like touch and help through your writing. It's really beautiful well, to, to and, see and that. You, through your podcast, you know, well done. It's, um, thank you for asking me. I've really enjoyed chatting to you. Yeah, likewise. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for coming on, Claire.